I needed to not skate by for once in my life, and they didn't let me. At the end of the day, if you know that you don't feel good about the job, you got to be able to leave that behind. They just kept asking me to come back, and I truly love Milwaukee and Southeast Wisconsin. It's always great to be at WTMJ. This is WTMJ Conversations. Welcome to WTMJ Conversations. I'm your host, Libby Collins. Well, clearly you've heard Dave Spano. He's the president and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. But how much do you really know about Dave? Well, he's here with us today. And Dave, you grew up right here in Milwaukee. I did, yeah, in the 53208. Thanks for having me, Libby. It's going to be a fun conversation. People look at you now is his this financial guru, somebody who not only has made a lot of money for himself, but helps other people make money. But life didn't start out for you that way. No, you know, my father worked at Ellis Chambers in West Dallas. He worked there for 44 years. My mother worked for the Milwaukee Public School System at the school board over on Valite Street. Everybody in Milwaukee knows that area. And that was the 53208 zip code, St. Sebastian's grade school, Wickfield. Spent a lot of time in that area. So I've been in Milwaukee my entire life and love it. What was your childhood like? Well, you know, my dad worked hard. There's no question about that. I was the youngest of five. And so at that time, they just pushed me out in the middle of 55th Street and said, go play with the cars, kid. Yeah, no, but it, it was fun. A lot of athletics, uh, did a lot of that stuff, grew up and met a lot of people that I still talk to today. Going to St. Sebastian's Grade School was a great experience over on 55th, if people know where that is, right up the street from Nascara, and then went on to go to Marquette University High School, also in the city of Milwaukee. What was grade school like? Catholic grade school, people sometimes have yeah. opinions about it, but what was it like for well, you? Well, see these knuckles and those listening on the radio, they're still bruised and scarred from one of the sisters. Yeah, I was corrected, if you will, a lot. So, yep, it was it was a great, it was a great experience. St. Sebastian's is still there, of course, and that grade school has gone on to have a lot of people go through that system. In fact, you'll know our former mayor, Tom Barrett, also went to St. Sebastian's, a classmate of my sister's, and so there was a lot of families that had gone through there and many families that we still see. Same thing, Marquette University High School. Yeah, Marquette High, as you know, is a great high school. My son, now there is a junior. And so 40 years later, we're back in the school and it's a great experience for him. You said, though, that you like sports. Was there a particular sport you really were drawn to more than another? Well, I played all of them. I ended up coaching basketball for a long time. As you can see, I'm six foot ten, not. And so it was always fun. But I will tell you that I played a lot of basketball. You know, originally in grade school, played a lot. There was a court in Milwaukee called Nascara. It's an outside court, and lots of people, a lot of people who played at Marquette University played. I remember that Neary and Rosie and all of those guys running up and down the court. Would you play? Well, of course, not center. I played point guard, right? <laughs> Come on, Libby. <laughs> No, but I mean, what kind of energy did you get from that? And I'm not talking just physical energy, but being involved in sports as passionately as you were, what did you get from that experience? Well, you know, I think team building is always a great thing, especially when you can get higher IQ. I, you know, even at my advanced age, I play once in a while. It hurts my knees to play, but, you know, I play once in a while. And I think the experience of playing with guys who went on to play at very high levels, a lot of those guys that I spoke about went on to play in universities, and some even played in the professional athletics scene. So, you know, I, I do think that you learn a lot about team building and experience and how to communicate. And how have you managed? 
managed to apply that after you got out of school? What right. what impact did that have on well, you? Well, I think when you coach, you're not just coaching X's and O's, right? You're coaching about making decisions and being responsible. And, you know, we're going to start on time. You're going to show up on time. You're going to be polite. You're not going to disrespect the referees or your other teammates or the other team. And I think teaching respect and hard work, in fact, that was the break that we always had when we came out. You would say one, two, three, and we always would say one, two, three, hard work. Because that goes and that transcends life. And if you read a lot of successful people and you ask them how they had their success, they almost always attribute hard work to it. You mentioned that you've also coached your son for Mm -hmm. a lot of years. Do you think that youth sports have changed from the time that you were playing? They have and they haven't. The game is the same. I mean, there's a little more three-point shooting that wasn't around back in the day. But the idea of working together, and I will tell you, I still see guys that I played with when I was very young. You know, we laugh about stories. We laugh about the time that you missed a shot or made a shot or something that happened. But, you know, where are we with youth sports today is today is different in the fact that if you're going to play basketball, back then you could play baseball, football, basketball, whatever. Today these kids are integrated to generally one sport. I'm not sure I'm a big fan of that, but if you're going to play basketball, you're going to play AAU basketball, you're going to play summer basketball, so you're committed. And that's the same for soccer or whatever other sport. There's a lot of travel. My travel was to get out of my Schwinn and go down to Wickfield, right? Now parents are taking their kids to St. Louis or wherever it is for a tournament. So that's what's changed. Do you think that hurts with parents being as involved in their kids' sports? Does it hurt? No, I don't think. I think it's a good thing to be involved. I mean, there are parents that take it too seriously. Seriously, and they all think that Johnny's going to go play in the NBA or, you know, and, they, and there's no chance of that, right? So there's some point that they have to discern between getting them in a team sport and learning from that in not deriding the referee or screaming at the kids about not making that play. I mean, that's the one thing I think some of the parents that are involved might get a little overzealous. When you were coaching your son mm-hmm. and you would see that and maybe some of those parents were parents of kids that you right. were coaching, right. maybe some for the other team. How did you handle that yeah. with them? That no, had the to be f- a fine line. Well, the first thing that I would do, and I've learned this from other good coaches and I don't put myself in the capacity of all the good coaches that I know, is that they would have a parent meeting to start. And so you go and you have, before the season starts, you get everybody in the room and the kids are there and the parents are there and you'd have a rule that if you are upset about something and you're upset about playing time, give it 24 hours. Give it 24 hours and then email or call and we can talk about it. But just take the pot off the steamer for just a bit and let it calm down. So that would be a big thing and that's what I would do for my parent coaches. And the other thing that I would see is there is still a lot of screaming and yelling out there that I see. I've seen some referees do some great things. I got a great story. We were playing against the team, and there was a bunch of parents who were just really, really loud. The coach called the timeout. The coach of the other team we were playing called the timeout and walked across into the stands and said something. And all I heard, and the referee told me, he said, if you want to coach, you show up on Tuesday at 7.30 when we have practice, and then Thursday, and then Saturday morning an hour before the game, and you can sit on the bench. Otherwise, be quiet. And I thought that was just really funny. But there is this point of being overzealous. But team sports are good. It's certainly better than having kids run around and do no good. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations. You're proud of being an Italian. I am. I am. There's no question about that. Dave Spano reveals what his Italian heritage means to him personally. 
You're listening to WTMJ Conversations. Welcome back. I'm Libby Collins. We're talking today with Dave Spano. You know him from his radio show, Money Talk, right here on WTMJ. Let's find out a little bit about his interest in sports. You have been a lifelong sports fan, and you've taken that into adulthood by participating in a lot of ways. For example, you were what, on the Brewers? I was on the stadium board, Miller Park Stadium board, for uh, a number of years and was there when Mr. Atanasio bought the team. And I am fortunate enough to sit in really, really great seats at Miller Park. And so I was on the stadium board and I remember the first time that Mark had come out, there was this big paparazzi following him out because it was the first game as an owner. And his dad, Joe, would sing the national anthem. And it was absolutely amazing, right? And so he walked out and he told the story in his dad's song. And then when they walked in, they had to walk past my seats. Again, all of these cameras were there. Libby was really fun. And he puts his arm around me and everyone's taking pictures. And he was saying hello. But he whispered in my ear, he said, $250 million and you have better seats? <laughs> So it was very, very funny. But, of course, he's done well with that team. You see that the valuation is significantly higher than what it is that he paid for it. He's an Italian. He's an Italian. As you are. Yes. What does your heritage mean to you? Well, you know, I was the I was involved with Festa Italiana and the Italian Community Center for a long time, for, you know, decades, really. And at one point, I was the chairman of Festa Italiana. I was the president of the Italian Community Center and went on to be the chairman of what's called the United Ethnic Festivals, which was all of the festivals together represented on the Summerfest board. So it means a lot. My parents, my dad's house was in the Third Ward, very near where the Italian Community Center is today. And of course, the history of the Third Ward is significant because there were row houses back then in the Third Ward, and they all got cleared out, and there were foundries that were put in there. And of course, then that went away, and now you've had the resurgence of the Third Ward, which is clearly one of the nicest places in the state. You're proud of being an Italian. I am. I am. There's no question about that. And your family comes from what part of Italy? Uh, my mother and my father were from Sicily. Is there a difference yes. between Sicily and the rest of Italy? Yes. Oh, my goodness, Libby. Yeah. So, you know, Sicily, of course, really and honestly, was more of a farming area. And there was more poverty in Sicily than there was in Italy. You think about all of the culture that came from the Romans in Florence and Venice. And so it's a great thing. And there's no question that there is a difference. But one we're all together. We're often are called Italians, yes. How important have ethnic festivals been to Milwaukee and also keeping alive those traditions of the immigrants who helped build the city. Right. So, you know, Milwaukee is known as the city of festivals and all due respect to Summerfest, you know, which was the first festival there, obviously. Fest Italiana was the first ethnic festival. You know, and then we have, of course, you had Polish and Irish and German and Fiesta Mexicana and all the other festivals that have gone on really developed and described Milwaukee as the city of festivals. And it was really a great opportunity for ethnic groups to get together. And in fact, we always used to say you're Italian on that Fest Italian weekend because most people weren't, obviously, right? So they would come for the Italian food and the Italian culture and the music and the celebration of the culture. And that went for all festivals. And the folks that started that, I mean, Fest Italiana was founded by a number of people, Paulie and Nelly. You remember Patsy and Paul. He did a great job. Uh, Tutti Barulata 
of course, father to Paul and Joe Bartolotta and a guy named Tony Maki. And those guys got together and came up with a phenomenal idea and started it on the east side and then moved it to the grounds in the late 1970s. So it's been around a long time. It's been economic challenges. You know, after COVID, they didn't have it. They moved it to their parking lot. I'd like to see it, frankly, personally, I'd like to see it back on the grounds and would be willing to help get it there. But there's things that cost more today to run it. But I think Don Smiley has done an amazing job of developing the ground. I think $65, $70 million of development on that ground is just phenomenal. It is clearly a world-class facility. And you, of course, have served on the Summerfest board yeah. as well. Yeah, and, and, and was I, that a natural progression for you? Well, it was part. It was part and parcel. So I got a really good look at what they do. And congratulations to Mary Ellen Stanick, who's now going to be the new chairman, and Sarah Smith is the new president. So new blood coming in, and they're going to bring a lot of great energy to have a high amount of respect for both of those women. And Summerfest is going to be in a great spot going forward. But you know, it's tricky. You know, people always say, "What does it look like?" And without talking. Uh, out of my pay grade here, I saw it. And, you know, to get music and Bob Babish is the absolute best, the music director at Summerfest, the absolute best in the country. But he was confined to the 11 dates that these bands were routed. And if it wasn't there, it was hard for him to get those bands. And so he was kind of handcuffed a little bit about what was routing. But I will tell you, the Rolling Stones that he brought just a couple of years ago, absolutely the feather in his cap. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations... And she grabbed me around the arm. She goes, take your mother to go meet him. Host of Money Talk, Dave Spano, talks about a story involving his mother and Frankie Valley from the Four Seasons. Now, more of WTMJ Conversations. I'm your host, Libby Collins. Let's return to our conversation with Money Talk's Dave Spano and hear a little bit about his interest in music and about a certain encounter with Frankie Valley from the Four Seasons. Did I hear correctly? You're kind of a Rolling Stones fan. <laughs> I'm, I'm a music <laughs> fan. I am. You know, can I just say without dating this piece, uh, uh, Bruce Springsteen uh, tonight in just a couple of hours uh, at Pfizer Forum. And I I'll, take it. You have uh, tickets. I'll be there. <laughs> I will be there for the boss. No okay. question about it. Okay. What is it about the Stones? The Stones, I will tell you, my brother, I think my older brother had bought Get Your Yaya's Out. It was an old Rolling Stones. You remember that. I, re- I know. The, yeah, yeah, I the, think I had a copy yeah, of that Yeah. So one. There was a li- it was alive in New York in the late 1960s and he had that album and you know sympathy for the devil and midnight rambler and all the great songs that were on there i think that got me started and it was funny because when i was growing up people were listening to the bgs or whatever and i was listening to the stones and the who so i was a little outside my time but always been a fan i can't tell you how many times i've seen them i mean really have lost track i mean 15 times maybe i've seen the who that many times i travel around with a friend of mine named jamie o'donohue o'donohue's pub in elm grove and he's going with me tonight but by he, the way i was there last night o'donohue's yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yes yeah, We've traveled a lot. We've been, you know, we've went to New York to see the Who in Madison Square Garden. We've been to Chicago and Alpine Valley. And so uh, it's fun to watch concerts, and, and I've been a big music fan. What's the best concert you've ever? God, that's, I'd, I'd have to, well, there's so many great. I mean, that's really a tough question, but I can tell okay, you. Okay, top three. All right. I will tell you some just great, amazing experiences was I, I saw a Sting at the Riverside Theater, you know, only 2,000 people there. I saw Bruce Springsteen also uh, was at the Riverside Theater. Stones at Alpine Valley uh, was amazing. I had my elbows on the stage for the Who at Summerfest, and also the Red Hot Chili Peppers. It was a pouring night. 
It was raining. It was, I mean, just coming straight down. And we were very close, and the chili peppers just rocked it. And even if you're not a fan of them, it was an experience. But then I've seen things that you wouldn't think that I would like, and Lady Gaga is just amazing performer and amazing singer. And were you on the Summerfest board mm-hmm. when she played Summerfest? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, bringing somebody like that right, right when she was starting to break out. Right. What did that say about Summerfest? Well, there's no question. I mean, if you look at their lineup right now, you and I are of the same age group, right? Uh, there's a lot of names that you wouldn't recognize, right? I mean, that you're just you're not listening to, but they have their finger on their pulse. And there's no question. But they did. I remember Imagine Dragons was a show that they had, and it really wasn't announced. And it was a sideshow at that point. Of course, they're playing the main stage. I'm sorry, the the American Family Amphitheater. But there was a and the word got out, and the kids put it on the you know Instagram or whatever they did, and it became just this mob scene. I remember Don Smiley talking about how they were going to handle it, and I think they just let everybody in. Because the lines were forming out in the street, and so they just let everybody into the grounds. But it, it was cool. Looking at, and being such a, a music aficionado, are there any up-and-coming performers that you really would say, you know what, I'd buy tickets to go see it. Not because of your kids, yeah. but you would go to see them. I listen to a lot of music. I mean, I will tell you, you know, when I had Frankie Avalon. We had Frankie Valley at the amphitheater, right? Yeah. I mean, I absolutely loved it, and this is a great story. So we had, I don't know, 10,000 people at the amphitheater, and Frankie Valley was performing. My mother, now 94 years old, said, uh, take your mother to go meet him. I said, Mom, Mom. Please, I got 10,000 people here. I'm trying to put on a show. And she grabbed me around the arm. She goes, I'm serious. Take me back there. So I walked to the back, and I knock on the door, and Frankie, and I had promoted the show, so I knew him. And I said, Frankie, great show. He said, thanks, Davey. Uh, he goes, uh, I go, will you do me a favor? He said, sure. He says, will you come and meet my mother? And he jumps up, and he, and he walks out. And my mother is 5'2 on a good day, right? And so Frankie Valley comes out, right, without his high heels on. And they're the same height. <laughs> and so they're having this conversation. It was classic. I, I thought I was Kareem talking next to these two. Love it. Still ahead on WTMJ Conversations. He sent me a picture and he signed it and it said, we should probably just fish from now on. <laughs> Dave Spano talks about his friendship with some celebrities, including golfer Steve Stricker and the Packers' Mason Crosby. You're listening to WTMJ Conversations. And I'm Libby Collins. Our guest today is Money Talk host Dave Spano. Let's find out a little bit more about some of the celebrities he's gotten to know through the years. Aside from Frankie Valley, who are some of the other celebrities that you've had an opportunity to meet when you've been involved with things like Summerfest and Festa? You know, there's so many uh, great people that we've met, not only uh, celebrities, but uh, you know, there's people who have made a difference that have people that you you don't know, but people who move the needle with cancer research. You know, we were involved with sponsoring the Vince Lombardi Cancer Foundation, and that's always been an amazing experience. Mason Crosby is the chairman, had a, a chance to play golf with him a lot, and we've been out. We went to Pottawatomie gambling one night, and we did some things. And so Mason, I'm a huge fan of Mason, of course, all-time leading scorer of the Packers. And then we also have the Pro-Am for the Amp fan. 
Jam, which is Steve Stricker's event, and uh, you had a chance to play golf with Mr. Stricker and, you know, one of the greatest golfers of all time. How'd you do in that game? Oh, my <laughs> God. He, uh, so this is, this is, we also fished together. This is a good story. Probably, if he hears this, he's going to hate me, but we also had a chance to go fishing prior to that, and then we went golfing, and after we were done golfing, I didn't do that particularly well, and he sent me a picture, and he signed it, and it said, to Dave from Steve Stricker. And underneath he goes, we should probably just fish from now on. <laughs> well, that's another passion for you. <laughs> I've got a lot of passions. So. Yeah, but I mean, you've got a boat. Yeah, I have a boat, yes. Yeah. yes. What, what are you, what are you I, we, looking uh, for these I, days? Well, we, uh, we, uh, I musky fish um, a lot. And Biggest have, mus- musky you ever caught? The biggest musk I ever caught was 53 inches, 26 inch girth. Are which you is, kidding? Yeah, 44 pounds. Where'd yeah. you get that? Uh, I can't tell you. If they tell you, it's no, gonna, really, no, really. Come on. Northern Wisconsin. Okay. Yeah. You, I, you're not going to you know, the joke. It. The joke was always, "Where'd you catch it?" And you go on the point. Well, there's a point on around every corner of every lake. It's on the point. That's where I caught it. But how excited were you? Oh my to God, bring it, in was like that? it was amazing. Well, it was the biggest fish I ever caught. And, and when you fish, you know they say it's a it's a fish of ten thousand casts. I don't believe that. It's far less than that. But it is a lot. And the bigger they are, the harder they are to catch. A lot of times you'll get them on and they get off, or uh, you know you get. You know, I've had one that was halfway in the net and and got out. You know so. Uh, they're very difficult, but uh, you know I've caught, had the fortune to catch a lot of them. And by the way, my dad uh, taught me that you know forty years ago how to fi- how to musky fish. He's long gone, passed away in nineteen ninety nine, but he would be proud to see the fish that's on my wall. Well, you've had the opportunity also to do some deep sea fishing. Mm-hmm. How does it differ from fishing in Wisconsin for musky yeah. and going out there on the ocean or the Gulf? Yeah, I would say tarpon fishing is the coolest thing to do. It would be if a really, really big musky did a bunch of crack. That's what it would be like. Co- cocaine tarpon? <laughs> yeah, right. Co- instead of cocaine bear, <laughs> cocaine tarpon. Uh, they are really big and they fight and they're, they're, it's an amazing experience. Biggest ocean fish you've ever caught? I caught, I was in the boat uh, and I participated in catching a hammerhead shark. And they are dinosaurs. I mean, that's, they're prehistoric. They are it's just amazing. And I'm like, I do not want to get anywhere close. I mean, they are historic. Prehistoric, I should say. I, I guess my mind is kind of blown because a hammerhead has that very Yeah, they, they have the two eyes that look left and yeah. right. Yeah. How do you even catch something like that? Uh, well, they're just the same way. You were, you were just pulling, you were trolling, right? And we were... They, did, were you looking for it or did we, it just we were we were, yeah. we were deep sea fish and this was the fish that, that caught, that ate our bait. Right, and it's but you weren't deliberately looking for a hammerhead. Looking for him when I saw him, I didn't want to meet him. <laughs> I certainly I wasn't looking for him, but no, I didn't, I wanted no part of it. But it was a really big hammerhead fish. Oh, I can only imagine what yeah. that was shark. Like. I should say. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That's not yeah, yeah that's that not the same fish, anymore, right? is it? All right. So, what else do you do for your free time? I mean, you you mentioned I'm going to Venice. I'm deep well, sea you want fishing. To know what? I'm doing muskies. Libby, what, what do you do for fun, Libby, Dave? I, I want you to know that I work six days a week too. So let's let's make sure that people listening to this don't realize that this is just not the life of Murphy. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations, I would read the Milwaukee Journal cover to cover. The host of Money Talk. Dave Spano talks about how he got his start in finance. You're listening to WTMJ Conversations. Welcome back to our conversation with Dave Spano. I'm your host, Libby Collins. Let's find out where the name Annex came from, as in Annex Wealth Management. Your career. Mm-hmm. 
like you said, you grew up on 55th Street. You didn't have a silver spoon in your mm, mouth nope. or anything. How were you drawn to finance? Um, I would say it started at Market High School. There was a stock club, and I started watching it. And, you know, and I will tell any parent or any kid, I would read the newspaper. I would always read the newspaper. I tell kids today, you know, they, they, there's no such thing as reading the newspaper today, right? You can read it online. But I would read the Milwaukee Journal cover to cover. So I think that was a big part of it. And I just got interested in the story. And then my dad would like to bet the ponies. So we also got the Chicago Tribune. I yeah. was waiting for you to say you got, what is it, racing? The, yeah, right, the, right, the racing star. star. Right, exactly. <laughs> so there was two papers in the Trib and the Journal. I used to read them. And, and that was the way I got interested and then got into finance and got into the business. Yeah. Uh, but what was your expectation? I mean, did you think at I first no I'm going to go and work at a bank? No. I, so when I, was, when, I, when I was trying to market financial services, that was my thought. And I guess I'm still doing that 38 years into my career is marketing financial services. But I will tell you the biggest thing that happened was I was uh, involved with a broker-dealer. Broker-dealers is a, a securities firm that sells investments, sells products, right? And there was a distasteful way that they were selling something, and I ended up parting ways with them in the late 1990s. And uh, after we, we recall Y2K, the planes were supposed to fall out of the sky, remember, in January. Um, so in early 2000, I formed Annex Wealth Management as a registered investment advisory firm. And that is to act as a fiduciary with your clients at all times. And that was a significant move. And by doing that, it's really blossomed because it's an opportunity to tell the story. As you know, we have a number of radio shows, of course, one here on WTMJ. And an opportunity to tell the story about being a fee-only fiduciary and not selling commission products to the unsuspected. So I'm really happy about that story. And we have now 6,000 clients, not only throughout Wisconsin, but in, in southwestern Florida and around the country as well. How'd you come up with the name? Annex is an extension of or an addition to, right? So we were going to build out a wealth management firm, and then I started to sell that idea to credit unions, community banks and CPA firms, people that had clients tangentially to the financial services but weren't in that business. So we would build out uh, this wealth management and we would deliver. So as you know, we have estate planning lawyers and CPAs and CFAs and MBAs on our team, and we could deliver all of that to a community bank who didn't have the wherewithal to do that. And so uh, that's where the name came from, Annex, to be an extension of or an addition to. And then 2002, I started doing a, show, a different show. 2006, started here on Money Talk. By the way, 18 years of doing it here. And of course, Money Talk's been on the air for a long time. Longest running financial show in the state of Wisconsin. So proud to do that. And, and you know, because uh, you and I did a number of shows on sure. Saturday morning. And Come in on Saturday morning and, and snowing or rain. I learned a lot. There right. was no question about it. But how do you think the, the financial business has changed, particularly since you got started in the 90s. Yeah. And how you I started in the late, late in the 80s. But yeah, late yeah, 80s, but, yeah. but you started Annex Wealth Management yeah, oh yeah, in the late 90s. In, in the 2000s, yeah. But at a time yeah. where there were community banks, mm -hmm. now, not so much. All these huge corporations have come in and taken over the smaller banks. How has that changed the business of finance? Well, you'll remember that, and I think you were doing some of the shows, but in... The end of 2008 and early 2009, there were these cascading failures of financial institutions, and they used to announce them on Friday night. 
that this bank will not open on Monday. And so one of the things we would do on Saturday morning, we'd say this bank is going to close or this bank is closing. And that was a traumatic, I think, for the financial services industry back then. And I think it was part and parcel of what really happened in 08 and 09 and the great financial crisis. I would contrast that today that these banks are much better run. They're better financed. If we do have the most expected recession in, in the history of mankind uh, at the end of the year, this year, or early 24, these banks are in much better position. They've done a really nice job, a lot of respect for these organizations, and there's still a number of community banks that I would certainly encourage clients to go and work with. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations. One of the police departments said, you know, there's a pack of coyotes over there. I'm not sure he made it. And I said, if that's not the case, I'm going back to get his collar. Dave Spano talks about a pet that went missing for nearly a month and how the story ended. Now, more of WTMJ Conversations. I'm Libby Collins. Today's conversation is with Dave Spano, the host of Money Talk, right here on WTMJ. Let's find out how a family tragedy led to a new pet who couldn't stay put. One of the things you've done, and I have a feeling, Dave, you could live anywhere you wanted. You could have your business anywhere you wanted. But you've stayed right here in southeastern Wisconsin, Elm Grove, mm-hmm. specifically. Mm-hmm. Why have you stayed? What What is it about this area? Well, number one, I've been here, right? So you think about growing up here, being born here. You know, I have family in the Milwaukee Police Department for, I don't know how long it's been, like 70 years. We've had a Spano on the Milwaukee Police Department. So that has part of it, you know, and, you know, went to school here. But my mother's alive and still here and doing well, and we see her often. Sister is here. So growing up here is a big part of it. Of course, when you build a business like ours, it's relationship-oriented. So you know, if I went to whatever, St. Louis, started to do that, I'd have a different experience because you know we can go and talk to people, and you know there's some commonality of everybody we talk to. So uh, that's the big reason. Our business is here. Our family is here. Our friends are here. Big supporter, as you know, of you know, we have season tickets for the Brewers, the Packers, the Bucks. So I'm I'm a Milwaukee kid. All right, but you you live in Elm Grove. Well, somebody <laughs> told me. Oh boy. About a dog uh-huh. that you had. Uh-huh. You you've got to tell the story. Yeah, it's a good story. So, my wife's father had gone into uh, a memory care facility, and so her mother was alone, and the two of them thought it would be a good idea to go get a puppy. Well, um, it's, it's kind of a happy story and a sad story. So, so they got this dog, and this dog uh, was in this house with my mother-in-law, and then unfortunately she got cancer, and the two of her parents died in the same week. Wow. And it was pretty traumatic. So I remember saying to my wife, I said, what are you going to do with this dog? And she looked at me and she goes, what do you mean, what are we going to do with this dog? We're taking this dog. I said, I don't want this dog. What kind of dog was it? It's, it's, we still have it. It's a Labradoodle, a Cody. Yeah. And so it's a big dog. Yeah. Yeah. And so she goes and she has this dog and she's going to close her mother's accounts at the bank, leaves the window open a little bit and this goofy thing jumps out of the car. The car's parked. Folks, don't get excited. The car was parked. But and, you, and she left the window open. Yeah. yeah and okay. so the car, and so she goes in and she walks out a minute later and the guy, I guess was Wisconsin Energy lineman up on the thing said the dog went that away and started to run and was running around the bank looking for her because it had, you know, had this separation uh, issue was going through, right? So anyways, the dog's now gone. So she calls me and I go and look for this dog. Didn't find it in day one, 
or day two or day three. Where were you looking? Everywhere that, you know, we were getting reports and she posted these things everywhere online. And every now and then we'd get a story, you know, the Brookfield Police Department or Elm Grove or somebody would say, we saw the dog. You know, we saw it's at Worth Park. It's here. It's there. And every night, honestly, I would go out looking for this dog. And by, day, day by, and night. By foot? Yeah, or, but or everything. Yeah. By everywhere. We, we went out looking. And people had seen the dog, right? And so we were continually looking for the dog. And then I remember one of the police departments said, you know, there's a pack of coyotes over there, mm-hmm. right? That ra- area, radio. there's a lot yeah, of that them, ran yeah. pointing on for the radio, right? Mm. And they go, I'm not sure he made it. And I said, oh, well, if that's not the case, I'm going back to get his collar or whatever. I said, I'm going in there. And he said, good luck. And so he wasn't there. A couple of days later. Now, this is now day 28, folks. So it's a month. 28, this guy is running around, right? And comes back, and it's 3.30 in the morning, and I hear the scratching, and the air conditioning was on. I'm like, what is going on with the AC, right? So I get up, and I turn it off, and I hear the scratching, right? And now, remember, my, my mother-in-law and father-in-law are now passed away for not a long time. And I open the door, and here's this Cody, big dummy, standing there, right, dark and gross and full of ticks, but, right, and I opened the door. He came home after 28 days. He figured it out and was scratching the door, right? So he That com- is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. So he comes in, and I started saying, Cody, 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 and, my, and Kim comes to the top of the stairs and goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm talking to Cody. Well, she started to cry because now she thought not only did her parents die, but she thought her husband has lost his mind. <laughs> she thought it's all over now, right? But here's this dog. And so 4 o'clock in the morning, I am shaving him and washing him. And uh, so the minute the vet opened, I took him over there, and he went through the whole thing and blood tests. And he was 20 pounds less. I was going to say he yeah. was foraging for yeah. food, so yeah. he couldn't have been. Right. So he was nasty. Yeah. He was nasty. And we took it all the way down to his skin, took all the hair off, and they said he's absolutely fine, and now he will not leave her side. That is for sure. And how is Cody today? Cody is awesome. He watches the door, and he watches Kim, uh, and she, and so he's doing great. And he has. We have another dog, so we have two dogs in the house, and they get along fabulously. What's the future for you? Are you going to keep working? Yeah, yeah. I love what I do. I love helping people. I will tell you, the biggest thing that I've been doing is creating this management team. We have a really talented number of people. You know, talented CFO and CCO and CIO and all of these. Now Chief Growth Officer Mark Beck, whom you know. And this talented team is really doing a nice job. In fact, I was walking out and they were all in a meeting. I'm like, I'm not offended that they didn't invite me. And this and the receptionist laughed very loud because she knew I was offended that they didn't invite me. But they were having a meeting. So the fact that we can help 6,000 families and continue to grow that, and we have a significant plans to grow the firm over the next number of years. So we've got a great platform, 150 employees, lots of families that we help. And, you know, the families that work for us are all one, uh, we're all together. All right. Alternate universe. Mm-hmm. If you were not doing what you are doing today, mm-hmm. helping people in their financial planning. What would you be doing? If the cops would get paid more, I'd have been a cop. Yeah, because even today, they do such great work and such, and don't get any respect. But there's no question. You can see what's happening, unfortunately, in some parts of the city of Milwaukee. When the laws aren't enforced, what happens? And that can get me down a whole nother path, right? But uh, you can see what has to happen. You have to have law-abiding citizens to have a thriving economy. And so there used to be, I don't know, 1,850 sworn in the city of Milwaukee, and it's 
I don't know, maybe half that, maybe a thousand. I'm not really sure, but significantly less. So that's probably what I would have done. And not because I wanted to be a hotshot, but because I believe in the city and it's helpful and it's really good for the community. Dave Spano. Keep doing those money talk shows. Yeah, we will. Well, we'll do it. We'll be doing, uh, we've been doing it now for uh, 18, 19 years uh, here and, and 20-some and some other stations. We do one in Appleton. We do a show in Naples, Florida, and so it's easy to do. Dave Spano, thanks for being here. Thanks, Libby. We've been talking with Dave Spano today, the host of Money Talk. We heard everything about him from how he got started in finance, his interest in sports, and also some of the celebrities he's come in contact with, including Frankie Valley of the Four Seasons. Now, if you joined us late and you want to hear the entire conversation with Dave, go to WTMJ.com and share today's show with your friends and family. You'll also find a partial transcript courtesy of eCourt Reporters. For WTMJ Conversations, I'm Libby Collins. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management LLC nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.